thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. As we kick off this morning, I want you to imagine a typical Kiwi kitchen in the days before dishwashers. Uh, Dinner's all done and the table's been cleared off, and there's Dad in the sink washing the dishes. And they're going into the drying rack for two siblings. After about three or four minutes, a familiar refrain starts to play. I've dried more than him. It's not fair. You've all heard it at your place, haven't you? Or at someone else's place. That scene has played out in your kitchens. I've done more than him. She hasn't done as much as me. One of the traits that defines the Kiwi psyche is fairness. Have you noticed that about us? We love things to be fair. We want everything on an even keel. We want everything to be equitable. We love fairness. If you've come from overseas, you might have noticed that about New Zealanders. In Psalm 73, life doesn't seem fair. The psalmist is seeing the godless prosper and the godly suffer. He feels like life's not fair. As we walk through the psalm this morning, we're going to examine it in three different parts. We're going to look at Asaph's crisis of faith in verses 1 to 3, and then his reflection that the godless seem to prosper in verses 4 to 14, and then we're going to come home to his realization that the godly truly prosper in verses 15 to 28. We know what we're looking at. Why don't we pray and ask God to guide us? Lord, thank you that you speak to us by your word. Thank you that you've given us the Psalms. We pray this morning that as we open this Psalm, you would help us to think about our own lives and where we see the godless prosper and where we suffer, and we would put them into the context of your goodness. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit as we open your word. We ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, as we crack open this psalm, the psalmist, whose name is Asaph, exposes his innermost thoughts in a way that I think a lot of us would be very nervous to, especially around questions of faith. Uh, His question, which is the heartbeat of this psalm, is one I'm sure we've all echoed before. If God is on the throne in heaven, if he is really the king, if he is really in charge, then how on earth did the ungodly get away with so much? It doesn't seem fair. The question sits in contrast to the opening refrain of the hymn in verse 1, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now this is a true declaration, God is good to those who are pure in heart, and God has been good to Israel. But life for them is tough when Asaph is writing. Uh, Psalm 73 opens the third book of Psalms. If you open your Bible and see there that the Psalms is divided into five different books. And this opens the third book of Psalms. Now preceding it have been some wonderful Psalms that are full of praise and celebration. They are joyful. Israel had been strong during that time and prospering under the reigns of King David and then King Solomon but now her enemies are starting to rise in strength, and they threaten to overthrow God's chosen people. If Israel, who are described here as pure in heart, 
are faithful to God, then why aren't they rising in strength? Why are their neighbours growing and they aren't? Why are the very ones who scoff at God and mock his ways, the ones who seem to be living lives of ease and enjoyment in the surrounding nations, enjoying all of that good stuff while Israel struggles and strains? That question is a question that threw the psalmist into a tailspin, and he's not just having a bad day. What he describes is a crisis of faith. Look at verse 2. It says, His feet had almost slipped. He nearly lost his foothold on God. When he should have been walking alongside God, he's almost off the path, going somewhere else altogether, and he tells us why. He exposes his heart to us. He envied the wicked. He saw their prosperity, and it rocked him. (coughs) Jealousy is a cruel master, isn't it? Do you ever notice that jealousy only ever breeds discontent? Listen to Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy eats us up. It causes us to question God's goodness. It robs us of peace and joy and contentedness. Now, we might be people who serve a jealous God, a God who covets his relationship with us, who wants the worship that the pagans give to the Baals and the Ashtaroths. He wants the worship that is his due as creator of all, as Lord Almighty. He is a jealous God in that sense, but we aren't to be a jealous people. Asaph's jealousy has cost him dearly. As he sees what others have who don't worship God, his foot has slipped. And he's contemplating walking away from the path of righteousness because all he can see is the prosperity of those who are wicked. All he can see is the success of those who deny God. The godless seem to prosper. Well, these enemies, the godless ones, the ones surrounding Israel are living the good life. They don't seem to have any struggles. They don't seem to face the same grind as the rest of the people. They look like they're healthy and strong. Their lives looked charmed. They don't have the common burdens that the people of Israel do. Sounds a bit like the Insta-famous influencers of today, doesn't it? The pampered celebrities that we see on the news. The lifestyles of the rich and the famous can rattle us. They enjoy caviar and champagne and Bali beach house holidays. Well, we have to get to grips and live in the real world. We don't have it all at our fingertips. We come up against people who despise God. Think about that workmate that belittles you. The family member who makes a snide remark at Christmas about your God. And those are the people that seem to get ahead in life. Those who scoff and mock seem to make progress and we're left behind. Worse than that, there are godless successful people who are violent and arrogant and proud. Not much has changed since Asaph wrote verse 5. Pride is their necklace, violence is their clothing. There is no limit to the evil imaginations of those who crown themselves as gods. There is no limit to their evil imaginations, and they behave as if they are gods. We have people like that in our world today. Look at verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. They are untouchable. They are unrestrained. They harm and hurt and amass wealth. The psalmist is talking about neighbouring nations. But there are followers of God who could echo those words today, couldn't we? 
Think about Christians in Nigeria who are hunted by the Fulani militia. Or Jesus' people in Myanmar who are imprisoned without any kind of trial. Believers in Indonesia are beaten. Their churches torched or knocked over with diggers. We live in a world where men still claim to be gods. Think of North Korea. In some of these nations, they mock the wisdom of the creator and redefine right and wrong and good and bad. And we see this happen and it hurts. It is unjust. It's not fair. And just like the psalmist, our hearts can become jealous and lead us onto slippery ground. We see the ungodly prosper and we question God's goodness in that moment. We echo the thoughts in verse 13. Walking in faith feels like it's been in vain. I've done what I can, Lord, to be pure in heart, to serve you, to live your way, to say no to temptation, and where has it got me? The ungodly get ahead and we look at their lives and they seem so carefree. They enjoy promotion and friends and fun. Maybe they've got a better phone or a better car or a better house, a better family, a better sex life, better health, a better bank balance, better retirement. Where has trusting in God got us to? Maybe you've lived God's way and you've turned down a dodgy deal and you made a loss in business instead of a profit. Maybe you've lived God's way and said no to sex outside of marriage or same-sex attraction and there are times where you feel deeply lonely. Maybe you've shared the good news of Jesus and obedience to God's word and now you're on the outer, a misfit at work that just doesn't have a place at the lunch table. Maybe you've come and forgiven someone after something terrible has happened. You've done what Jesus commands and you've reconciled a relationship and then you've been let down and hurt again. Maybe you've served faithfully, giving generously, year in and year out, and now you've got an illness which is terrifying. It's not fair, is it? Our expectations haven't been met. Maybe we've done everything right and the ones who are ungodly seem to prosper. There are times where we ask, where has holding fast to Jesus got me, aren't there? Those quiet moments where we're concerned about the future. Friends, during our lives, we are going to see the ungodly prosper. And if we only fix our eyes on that, we're going to respond as brute beasts by instinct, feeling disheartened, our feet slipping. But as the people of God, we are freed to see another perspective. The psalmist, without the benefit we have of the revelation of the Lord Jesus, hit a turning point at verses 16 and 17. Can you see it in your Bible? When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. The ungodly will be destroyed, we're told. They will face a reckoning for their rejection of God's way at Jesus' return. It is the godly who will truly prosper. Searching for answers and trying to understand the injustice, the psalmist is driven to the place of God's dwelling. He's driven to the sanctuary. And there he's able to reassess the prosperity of the ungodly, and he sees his folly as he holds these things up next to each other. By lifting his eyes above what he sees around him, he recognizes that his viewpoint was off kilter. God is still good. God will see justice done. He came close to slipping off the path, but reminding himself of God's goodness has changed him. 
His jealous heart has been revealed to him, and so has the future trajectory of the ungodly. Verse 18, they are on slippery ground. They're like a dream. Their influence and power will vanish into thin air. In verse 20, he holds on to the promises of God. Where do we enter into the sanctuary? Where do we find the knowledge that makes sense of the world around us? It's inequality, the oppression, the success of mockers and scoffers who turn their backs on God, the ungodly who acts as princes and gods of our age. But we don't go to a temple. We go to the one who rebuilt the temple in three days in his own body. We don't make a sacrifice of blood of an animal. We go to the one who made the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. We go to the Lord Jesus, revealed to us perfectly in the Bible and brought alive in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same one who brought him alive from the dead. In Jesus, the true desires of our hearts are revealed to us. The jealousies we feel when we see the ungodly prosper can be used by the Spirit of God to remind us where we need to press closer to our Lord. Asaph admitted his great need for God, and wonderfully there is no shame in it. He recognises that he was ignorant and senseless, that he was like a brute beast, verse 22. He goes to a loving, kind Lord, full of mercy and grace, who accepts him, even though he had rejected God's way for a time. We go to a God who hears our cry of sorrow and who is strong where we are weak. It is only in that God that we find true satisfaction. Friends, if we look at the world around us and glance longingly at the things the ungodly have, we will only sink. Our flesh and our hearts will fail, like Asaph's did, verse 26. In the crisis of faith moments, and they will come our way at times, as we see the injustice and oppression of this world, in the crisis of faith moments, our feet may almost slip. We might feel like we've lost our way as we take the deep injustices of our world to heart. But God places the ungodly on slippery ground. Their influence and God's economy, we're told, is a vanishing dream, a breath, a nothingness, and so are the things they enjoy for security. There is no lasting satisfaction in the things of this world. But our hearts still desire those things that others have, don't they? But in the strength of the Holy Spirit, we can wrestle with those desires. We can fight that temptation, knowing that what awaits us far outstrips anything this world can offer. That's our faith at work. That's us denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following the Lord Jesus in the confidence that he gives And that is worth far more than what the ungodly hold to. We saw that when a crowd of listeners came and asked him for proof of his divinity. They didn't believe him. Give us a sign, they cried in John 6. Our ancestors got bread from heaven. If you're really someone, show us a sign, Jesus. In verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Where are the hungers and thirsts of our hearts fulfilled? Where are they satisfied? Well, only in the Lord Jesus. 
He guides us with his counsel and will keep our feet on the path so that we can be with him in glory. Who else do we have in heaven beside God? Where else can we put our trust? By trusting him, by saving faith in his promises, by believing that the future he promises is greater than life here, by believing that being close to God is worth more than all the things of this world, than all the things the ungodly enjoy during this lifetime, we will find true and lasting satisfaction. John Piper warns us, if we are indifferent to God as our supreme satisfaction, we will not be able to glorify him from the heart as we should. It's a stark warning. Without an overarching Jesus-shaped view of God's justice, we will lose our way. If we focus on the injustices of this life and what the ungodly have that we don't, our lives will be bitter and joyless. But surely, God is good. And Jesus, all his promises to his people are yes and amen. So friends, let his promise drive our eyes back to God. Even in the moment when we are slipping, when we know that our feet are taking us off the steady path, when our hearts fail and our flesh is weak, push near to God. Push into the Lord Jesus. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. He is our strength. He is saving us. He is redeeming us. He has a wonderful future in glory for us where we will know the incomparable joy of life with our God as his people, redeemed, restored, and fully satisfied. It's this truth that revives Asaph. And it's this truth that revives us. It dispels the sense of futility. God is active in his world. No wonder that Asaph could tell the wonders of all God's deeds in the psalm. Can't we do the same? where we have seen him meet our needs and satisfy. God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forgotten us. He isn't powerless to act in this world where the ungodly prosper. He is refining us. He is our refuge, our satisfaction, our sustainer. The ungodly may scoff or mock. They may get ahead and prosper for a time. But God is the sovereign Lord who is saving any who put their trust in him. In him, the godly truly prosper. Why don't we pray? Lord, thank you again for the Psalms and they deal with the real stuff of real life. You know there are times around us where we see people who turn their backs on you prosper and get ahead and it hurts. Lord, when we're feeling hard done by, maybe even when we're feeling abandoned by you or our feet are almost slipping, would you bring to mind this psalm and your gracious mercy and remind us that in you the godly will prosper, that the Lord Jesus can satisfy all of our desires. Lord, would you please help us to be a church who proclaims that truth and goodness so that we might see many come to know and love you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for 
Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.